So if you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, you can turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, we've been in this series called Thrive, and, and we've been looking at what, is it, what does it mean to thrive in life? What does it mean to thrive in, in our situations, our relationships? What does, it mean to, what does it mean to thrive and not survive? Because there's a lot of people in the society and the, the times that we live that aren't, survive, that aren't thriving, but they're surviving. And so, uh, and so today we want to look at this issue. We want to look at this topic of, of a satisfying life. What does it mean? What does it mean to have a, a satisfying life? I think it was, well, I know it was, it was Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones like in 1965 saying, I can't get no satisfaction, right? And so there's a lot of people still saying that. There's a lot of people still dealing with that, that it's no matter what, it just seems like in life, I, can, I just cannot get any satisfaction in life. It doesn't matter the success, it doesn't matter prestige, it doesn't matter possessions, it doesn't matter materialism, it doesn't matter situations or circumstances. It just seems like in my life, it just seems like I'm always falling short. It's like I, I, I'm never satisfied. I'm just never satisfied with what's going on in life or what is happening around me, what's my relationships or whatever. And so Paul helps us this, this weekend to understand what does it mean to have a satisfying life. Really and truly what he's talking about, he's talking about this issue of contentment. What does it mean just to find contentment in, in life? And so here's what Paul says, Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. He, he, he says, starting with verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. That is real important. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstances. That's a huge statement, again, about this issue of contentment. It doesn't matter the circumstance. It doesn't matter the situation. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So this issue about contentment, because this is what Paul's talking about, and Paul's talking about contentment can be something that's learned. fact is, Paul would say contentment is something that's learned. It's part of spiritual maturity. And so but let's just be clear what contentment is. Contentment is not apathy. It's not laziness. It's not complacency. Contentment is simply this. Contentment is independent from your circumstances. Come into, the, come into this place. It's independent of the situations. It's independent of the circumstances. In other words, that you and I should not base our contentment on our situations, on our circumstances, the relationships that are around us. And so the big question is, is how do we get this? How do, how do we answer Mick Jagger's problem? How, how do we get contentment? How do we get satisfaction in life? And again in verse 11 and 12, and he just says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So Paul says part of spiritual maturity is this, is learning to be content in the circumstances and the situations that God has placed you. And I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstances. And he uses the word, uh, the phrase again, I have learned. In other words, he's helping us understand this is something that's learned. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and, and need. And so the, the Christian life, what Paul would say, is learning contentment. It's learning what does it mean to, to, to have contentment because there, there's some people that it, it just doesn't matter. They're just never satisfied. It's just, it seems like they can, they can live their whole life, and at the end of the life they're just kind of like um, unfulfilled or they're unsatisfied or they're, or they're not happy and all those other things. And Paul is saying that, that when, when you understand this issue of contentment, you understand that contentment, listen, contentment is found within you, not without you. 
It's not outside of you, in other words. Paul says that this issue of contentment, listen, there, there's a group of people, and they were known as Stoics in, in, in Paul's day. And the Stoics believed, and the Stoics would say that, that, that contentment is found in materialism and possessions. And, and, and well, material or, or contentment is found, what they would say is it is found in self-sufficiency. And Paul would say, no, that's not, what, that's, not, that's not where contentment is. Contentment is not in self-sufficiency. Contentment is not outside of you. Contentment is where you understand it's Christ's sufficiency. And so the question is, is, is how do I learn to have contentment? I mean, Paul said several different times. He said, said two different times. He says, I have learned. I have learned. This is what I've learned. And so I want to give you just three things about how to learn to have contentment in life. And then, and then we're going to take communion or the Lord's Supper uh, together as a church family in just a, a few moments. But as we head, as we head towards the table, where the table is a reminder to us that, that, that our sufficiency is found in Christ and Christ alone. He meets all of our needs. And so three things about how to learn to have contentment. The first one is this. You have to learn to avoid comparisons. You have to learn, you have to come to that place in your life to where you don't compare your life with someone else's life. You don't compare your gifts with someone else's gifts. You don't compare your circumstance, your situation, your relationship, your place in life, whatever. You do not compare that to someone else. Uh, that's what Paul said, verse 11. He says, Now that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. In other words, this, he, he, he came to this place where he says, I, I just don't compare my life. says it again in 2 Corinthians. I don't compare my life to anyone else. Here, here's, here, here's what I've learned in life, and maybe what you've learned in life, is that when I compare my life to someone else's life, I'm always discouraged. You know why? Because I compare my weaknesses to their strengths. When at, I'm just telling you, when, whenever I come to the place in life and I start comparing my life, my situation, my circumstance, my relationships, you know what the problem is? The problem is, is I'm comparing their highlight reel, the stuff that I see publicly, to the things that I know about my life privately. I never really know how their life is. I mean, and so Paul's coming to this place and trying to help us to understand that, 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 that usually when we compare ourselves to someone else, it discourages us. I, I never forget, and Karen and I were, were, were newlyweds. We were in Houston, Texas, and, and we were in a church there, and we, they, had a, they had a life group for, for newlyweds. We were like newlyweds. Uh, all of us were newly married. And uh, there, was a, there was a couple in there that, that Karen and I became close friends with. And so, you know what? We, we, were, we were young, and we were trying to figure out marriage, and there were some things that Karen and I were, like, struggling in in, in marriage and, and uh, you, know, I, you know, trying to figure out that whole marriage deal. And, and so, but this couple seemed to have it all together. I mean, this couple seemed like they were, like, perfect. And so we were either at their house, they were at our house, we vacationed together, we camped together, I hunted and fished with, 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 her, with, with the guy, and, and so all of those other things. And so, and so we were close, but it seemed like every time we left their house or we left them, we were kind of discouraged because we compared our relationship to their relationship, and it, like, discouraged us because it seemed like they were perfect until four years into their marriage, and, like, their marriage, like, blew apart and it just fell apart. And all of a sudden, we realized, yeah, what was going on in public was, what was, was not what was happening in private in their life, and it discouraged us. I mean, I, mean, I, I learned this lesson. I learned this, this, this principle of this, that, 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 that the strength of anybody's relationship, the strength of anybody's circumstance really and truly has no bearing on my personal happiness. It just may be their highlight reel. It may not be what's going on behind closed doors. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 18, he says, 
as we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. In other words, Paul says, I avoid comparisons, and, and so I don't look around. In other words, I look up. Because I understand that, that it's Christ's sufficiency. It's not self-sufficiency. It is contentment is not found in circumstances. It's not found in situations. It's not even found in relationships. It's not found in any of that. True biblical contentment is found within. In other words, what Paul was says, I, I, don't, I don't spend my time comparing my life, my situation to others. There's, there's three misconceptions that a lot of people have about contentment or about happiness. There's some people that said, you know what, I must have what others have to be happy. I must have what others have to have contentment. I, I'm a, I must have the material things, the situation, the circumstances that they have. And, and that's the myth. That's the myth behind, behind fashions that continually change, behind fads that continually change. That's just, that's just a, a myth. And some people say, you know what, for me to be content, I need everybody to like me. Really? Like that's ever going to happen right i mean listen it's just a false belief to believe that you know what the time's going to come that everybody's going to agree with me that everybody's going to like me listen if if that's you and you believe contentment is found in that you will waste a lot of energy trying to get the approval of people you'll become a people pleaser and you'll try to do something that jesus christ himself couldn't even do jesus christ i mean not everybody approved of him right not everybody liked him why are you trying to accomplish something that Jesus Christ couldn't even accomplish, didn't even do? And the fact is, Jesus would say this. Jesus would say that, be concerned if all men speak well of you. You may be a false prophet. Listen, let me tell you something. A false belief is this, is that you need everybody's approval to be content. Galatians 1.10, Paul talks about his life before Christ, his life after Christ, and he says this. For, I, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? So it's, it's a rhetorical question, but it's a question he asks. Or am I trying to please man? In other words, he says, am I a people pleaser? If I were still trying to please man, if I was still a people pleaser, I'd not be a servant of Christ. In other words, he understood that, you know what? Not everybody's going to speak well of you. Not ev not every Listen, not everybody has to like you for you to be happy. There are some people, listen, there are some people, they're going to disapprove of you no matter what you do. There are some people that are going to twist your words, twist your decisions no matter what you do. So it doesn't determine your happiness. There, there's, there's a verse, and Paul's writing in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, and Paul's writing to, to young Timothy, who's, who's like starting out in ministry. And, Tim, and, and Paul makes this statement that it took years for me to really understand the depths of the statement. Here, here's what he says, it's just verse 6. And so he says in verse 6, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, it says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. I thought godliness would be enough. Man, I mean, this verse really challenged me for a number of years. Because he says, but, but godliness with contentment is great gain. In other words, coming to that place to where you understand it's Christ's sufficiency, to where you understand that it's not self-sufficiency, but it's Christ's efficiency, to where you understand that godliness is this active faith that finds sufficiency in Christ and sufficiency and contentment in Christ, and it's apart from your circumstances. It, it doesn't matter about your circumstances. And so he says that, that godliness with contentment is just unbelievable spiritual maturity, unbelievable gain. 
And he goes on, for we brought nothing into this world. So now all of a sudden he starts challenging the Stoics of their day. And this says contentment is found in materialism, it's found in possessions, it's found in the approval of people. And he says, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But listen, if we have food and clothing, if our needs are met, with these things we will be content. And so what Paul is saying, guess what? All situations, all possessions are temporary. In other words, all possessions, materialism, it's all temporary. And God has given it to us on loan for us to enjoy, for us to steward, for us to share, for us to give back to Him. But He's helping us understand that this issue of contentment is found inside of us in a relationship with Christ, not based on the circumstances, situations, or anything like that. The second thing, that if we're going to find contentment, if we're going to find satisfaction in life, the second thing is this, is is I have to learn to be flexible. I have to come to the place where I learn to be flexible. And in other words, this life, listen, life has its ups and downs, right? I mean, there's different seasons of life. Uh, life has its ups and downs uh, emotionally and, and physically and spiritually and mentally and financially. I mean, really and truly, especially in the culture and the time that we live, there's only one, certain, there's only one thing that's certain, and that is change. And so the question is, when you start looking at this, how do you, how do you handle change? How do you handle how do you handle things when, when, when your life is shaken up? How do, how do you handle life when there's like interruptions and when there's change? I mean, do you get do you get frightened? Do you get moody? Do you get angry? Do you get uptight? Do you do you get stressed? And Paul is saying, Paul is saying the ability to adjust to adjust to all different circumstances in life is and, and change is important to this issue of, of contentment. Um, it's like it's like the proverb, blessed are the flexible, for they will not be broken. That's not really a proverb. I just made that up. <laughs> right? I mean, blessed are the flexible, for they, not, for they will not be broken. In other words, what Paul is saying, Paul is saying that it's so important for us to come to this place in life to understand that, you know what, change is normal in life, and I need to learn to adjust, and I need to learn to make some of those changes because my happiness is not dependent on the circumstance and situation. That's why Paul says, I, I've learned. I've learned how to find contentment, satisfaction, when I've had plenty and when I've had little. When I've gone through hurt, and I've gone through celebration. Man, listen, change is going to happen in life whether we like it or not, right? You ever tried to stop change? You can't stop change. It's just going to happen. Verse 12, Paul says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstances. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I mean, Paul's writing in a cold, lonely prison, Roman prison, waiting to be executed by Nero. He was away from his friends. He was separated from his friends. And in fact, some of his so-called friends were like trashing him and talking to him and talking about him, saying the reason he's in prison because there's some sort of sin in his life or he did something wrong, and, and they're using that for financial gain and 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 gain for their churches and all that other stuff. And and Paul's like, you know what? I I don't need their approval. I, I'm right where God has called me. And so Paul Paul said, a satisfying life is is when you understand that you do not get your joy, happiness, or contentment out of things, out of people, out of possessions, out of pleasures, out of profits, out of prestige, out of, out of popularity. Paul says, I, I've learned to find contentment in the good and the bad. Proverbs 16.4 says this, The Lord has made everything for its purpose. 
even the wicked for the for the day of of trouble and so paul says i i avoid comparisons and i i adjust to change and and i i am flexible i mean man I, man we have to be flexible because ever realize circumstances are not flexible a lot of times we have to learn to be flexible and when those things come into our life that hurt us and we, we got to come to the place and say you know no matter what i'm not going to be a victim i i'm just i'm not going to play the victim card i'm not going to choose to be a victim no matter no matter what people do to me no matter what people say to me no matter how people treat me I'm not going to play the victim card. I'm not, in other words, this, I'm not going to allow them to control my life. Have you ever been around someone? And they're playing the victim card, and they're justifying their life, they're justifying their actions, they're justifying their circumstances, and they're still reliving stuff five and ten and fifteen years or so, and because they did this to me, I'm going through this, because they said this to me. And Paul says, you've got to come to the place where you no longer... You no longer play the victim card to where you understand your contentment is independent of your circumstances. Man, there's some people, you can ask them, right? You can ask them, hey, how you doing? And they'll say, I'm, o I'm doing okay under the circumstances. What are you doing under the circumstances? God never called you to be, <clears throat> excuse me, under the circumstances. You get on top of them. It, it's a choice. Listen, if you can change your circumstances... You should change your circumstance. But if you can't change your circumstance, then you have to learn contentment. Listen, if you could change your circumstance, you don't need contentment. You don't need to learn. You just change your circumstance. Listen, contentment is not laziness. It's not apathy. It's not any of that. Listen, situations that you cannot control, that's where you and I need contentment. We're going through that right now as a family. Uh, my, my oldest daughter is walking through an adoption process and um, and we feel like on Friday we some of the rules we feel like some of the rules were changed, and and we realize we're going to be in this a little bit longer, maybe a lot longer than than what we expected. And so none of us are really happy with that. But guess what? In the midst of that, we're we're going to have to learn how we're going to have to learn what contentment is, because you know what? We can't change the circumstance. We cannot change the situation. It is what it is. But here's what we can change: we can change how we respond to it. We can change how we find contentment in it. See, this This is where we learn, and sometimes it's so hard, right? This is where we learn to relax and just trust God. That's why Paul told Timothy, Timothy, I just need to let you know, godliness with contentment is great gain. For you understand that your sufficiency is in Christ, your sufficiency is in God. Regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your situations, you just learn to trust Him. And sometimes we have to learn to uh, adjust, not just to circumstances, but to people when it seems like they don't want to change. Paul said this in Romans 12, 18. He says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That, that, didn't, that didn't mean that you will. That, it just means this. It means as far as it depends on you, your words and your actions and your decisions, just learn to live peaceably with everyone. And understand, you know what? They have a choice to be made to. But as it depends on you, do the very best you can with the words that you use, the things that you say to leave, peace, leave peaceably 
with everyone. I think sometimes some of the most emotionally and well-balanced people that I know are people that, that don't take themselves so serious, that they're able to kind of laugh at themselves, right? I mean, sometimes we take ourselves so serious and we don't take God serious enough. And I think it should be flipped. I think we should come to the place where we just understand, you know what, we're broken. You know what, we're fallen. You know what, we're, we're not perfect. And when we have the ability to just, just to laugh at ourselves, it is, sometimes it shows great emotional sta stability because, listen, if you don't, if you don't adjust, you're going to break down and you're going to burn out in life. Because one of the things is this, change is inevitable, right? And, I, and I'm watching this in the local church, and, and I'm watching this with the evangelicals in our, in our country, that it, it seems like that our culture is, is, is changing rapidly, and it's probably changing faster than, than I've ever seen it change in my lifetime. And so evangelicals, Christians, ha have a choice. We, we, need a, we can either get angry, and we can get militant, and we can dig our heels in, or we can try to find a way to adjust in such a way that we don't compromise biblical values, but we adjust in such a way that we learn to minister and we learn to love a community and a culture that is in the midst of change. The third and the last thing is this, that if, if we're going to come to the place to where we learn a satisfying life, we learn contentment, the last thing is this, we learn to depend on God's power. We learn to come to the place where we just depend on God's power. And this is what Paul is talking about. He's talking about this issue of self-sufficiency versus Christ-sufficiency. The people of their day were saying contentment is found in self-sufficiency. Paul is saying, and the Word says, it is found in, in Christ-sufficiency. And Paul says, and listen, we've taken Philippians 4.13. We have applied that all different ways. We have ripped that out of context. But let's just keep it in the context in which it is written. And so Paul goes through this issue of contentment. And he's helping us understand to learn to be content when you have much and when you have, when you have little and all those other things. And then he comes and he says, Philippians 4.13, he says, And I can do all things through him or through Christ who strengthens me. So all of a sudden he's talking about this issue of Christ's sufficiency. In other words, this, that when things begin to change, when things begin to change, that I understand I remember it's in Christ's sufficiency. In other words, when, when, when the grandkids come to your house and like wreck the house, you can still be okay, right? That's really raw to me because we had, we had like the grandkids for the last couple of days. And so Karen and I have gotten to this place to where like we, we've had, we haven't had any kids in the house in a long time. And uh, we got married when we were like 13. And so we've, we've been young grandparents. <laughs> I'm joking. I think she was 14. Uh, and so, uh, and so we, we've been young grandparents for a long time. And so I, I've got in this mode, right, like, like now I can have like a clean car and I can have everything where I want it. And so, so we picked up the grandkids and brought them back to Pueblo for a couple of days. And, and you know what, I, I think I've told you, you know, those car seats, that, those things have, are of Satan to try to put them in your car. That is like ridiculous. And so I won't even try. I tell my kids, if you want me to have the grandkids, fine. You put the car seats in my car. I am not going to do it. And so, you know, we're bringing them back to Pueblo. And at this point, uh, my car was like perfect. And then all of a sudden, I mean, they just, they start trashing the car. They want goldfish. They want snacks. And then they get dirty. And I'm like, Karen, please give them a wet one. She gives Gavin, the four-year-old, a wet one. He got bored with the wet one after he took a, basically a bath in it. And he starts, he starts washing the window. 
And that is like driving me, I mean, it is driving, and I'm like, Gavin, stop it, stop it now. And then Karen's like, we got Windex, it'll be okay. I said, you don't understand. And so, so then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Gavin says, hey, look, Pop Pop, I can, I can draw pictures. I'm like, you know, I had, I had to call some people and ask for their forgiveness for some young couples, you know, in our church that I've gotten like in their minivans. And I have so judged you guys because, like, in the cup holders, there's, like, goldfish floating in Dr. Pepper. And I'm like, I'm like, how does this happen? How could this happen? This has to be sin. So to all, please just forgive me. I don't even know where we were. But Paul said, <laughs> Paul is saying this issue about change uh, that, that comes. And, you know, it's hard for any of us, right? I mean, we like things our way, and Paul says spiritual maturity is coming to this place when things change, whether situations change, circumstances change, adoption process changes, any of those, the economy changes, your job struggles, you go through marriage stuff, you go through relational stuff, whatever it is, we understand that, you know what, if I understand contentment is within me, not outside of me, it's just Christ's sufficiency, then you know what he's saying? This is when Philippians 4.13 applies that. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Why? Why? Because I understand the sufficiency is in Christ. It's not in circumstances. It's not in situations. It's not whether people approve of me or disapprove of me. It's not whether they speak well of me. It's none of that. And Paul says this issue, this is the power of that verse. This is the power of Philippians 4.13. And it's not depending on your power. It's depending on His. And you know what? One of the signs that you and I are not depending on our power, not depending on our strength. It's fatigue, it's stress, and it's when we're tired. I mean, what? in some circumstances, there's some things that you need to take control of, right? So what are the things that you can change? What are the things that you need to take control of? Is it a schedule? Is it your priorities? Is it your, is your time? Is it your mouth? Is it your temper? Is it, is it an addiction? Is it a bad habit? If it's something that you're doing... And what do you need to take control of? And how big of a problem, listen, how big of a problem are you facing today? Because my guess is every one of us is facing some sort of problem today. And they may be some minor ones and they may be some major ones. Man, satisfaction in life, what Paul says, only comes from contentment. But he also says it comes from confidence. Confidence in this. Confidence does not come from you, but it comes from God. And that's why Paul says, I draw on the power of Christ, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he says. But he said to me, this is so amazing, Paul had been praying three times, he asked God to answer this prayer, to remove this, this thorn in the flesh. And he says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Here's the interesting thing. In the Greek language, that word sufficient is the same English word for contentment. My grace, my grace is contentment for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so the power of Christ may rest upon me. Listen, contentment is independent of circumstances. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I'm telling you, this, this issue of contentment is just something that is learned. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, 30, 31, He says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, 
What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. It was the Stoics of their day, of Paul's day. And our Heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And, and He says, and all of these things, all of these things will be added to you. Man, whenever we walk through life, and I know this is a convicting statement, it's convicting for me. Man, whenever we walk through life and we have discontentment, it's a sign that Jesus is not the center of our life, that we placed, we just placed something else there, that we believe if we have that, we'll have satisfaction, we'll have contentment. Contentment is not complacency. Contentment does not mean that, and contentment does not even mean you like the situations and circumstances that you're walking through. Paul is in a cold prison waiting to die. He never said, I like the circumstances, I like the situations that I'm walking through. I'm, I'm overjoyed because I'm in this. Listen, contentment is not some mental thing to where you just psych yourself up to believe that it's no big deal and that you really like it. It's none of that. Contentment is just understanding, understanding who you are in Christ and it's the sufficiency of Him. Listen, if you and I have to have a perfect situation in a perfect relationship to be happy, you're never going to be happy. You're never going to find contentment. And Paul says, I've just come to the place. I'm not going to let anything master over me, and I understand where contentment comes from. We're going to take communion or the Lord's Supper together as a, as a church family. And really and truly, as, as a, the communion or Lord's Supper is just a picture that our sufficiency is found in Christ. Our, our servers are going to begin making their way to the back as they prepare the, the bread and they prepare the juice. As we get ready to take communion together, as a church family. Communion is the picture that Christ is our sufficiency. I mean, it's real interesting to me whenever you, whenever you see how Christ administered this time. He always, he always took the bread, He broke it, He blessed it, and He gave thanks. And in some way, Christ was revealed to the people that were taking communion in a deeper way. It's my prayer this morning that as we take communion as a church family, that Christ would be revealed to you in a deeper way. That He'd be revealed to you in a deeper way with what does contentment look like? Uh, what, does, what does a satisfying life look like in, in, in your life? What is satisfaction? The Bible tells us this, that before we take of the bread and before we take of the juice, that we should examine our lives. And we're not examining our lives to see if we're worthy to take communion. None of us are worthy. We're all broken people. We're all broken individuals. We're examining our lives to see, are, are we extending grace to others? How are we acting towards others as a result of what Christ has done for us? So, before we take of the bread and before we take of the juice together as a church family, would you just sit before him? And we're just asking, God, would you just reveal yourself to me in just a deeper way as I take of the bread and I take of the juice.
writes in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, of about this time, about communion or the Lord's Supper. Depending on your tradition that you've come out of, you may have called it the Lord's Supper or communion. It means the same thing. Verse 23, he says, For I received from the Lord what also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and you drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The picture of the breaking of the bread was not only symbolic in the picture that Christ's body would be broken for us on the, on the cross. But it's also a picture to us that, you know what, we're, we're broken individuals. And we're in need of grace. There's not one of us in this room that's perfect. There's not one of us in this room that has arrived. And it's only Him that can make us whole. It's only Him that can heal us. You see over and over that He gave thanks. He, he blessed it. In other words, this, that when we come to the table, we should, we should give thanks. It's a sad place to be in life when, when you come to the table. You come to to take of the bread and you take of the juice and you feel like you have nothing to be thankful for you don't come as a grateful heart see the picture of of giving he he gave in other words just as he gave grace to us we're to give grace to others the whole reason that paul said that we should examine ourselves before we take of the bread and we take of the juice is we should examine our lives and say, are we giving the same grace to others that He gave to us? Are we forgiving one another? Are we loving one another? Are we encouraging one another? Do we understand that our commitment, our satisfaction, is not up to another person to give that to us? It's not outside of us, it's within us. So before we take of the bread, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for today, and we thank you for your love. Father, we thank you for your grace. Father, we just thank you for this time that we can just come together, and we can take of the bread, and we can take of the juice. And Father, we just ask that you just, in these moments, that you just reveal yourself to us in a deeper way, that we'd be able to find a satisfying life, we'd be able to understand what con contentment is in life. For we ask these things in Jesus' name, would you take with me, please? Before we take of the juice, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the giving of your blood, for without it there'd be no forgiveness of sin. And Father, may we understand that we can come to, the, to your table, we can come to this time, and we can be grateful and we can be thankful regardless of our circumstances and our situations, for you have totally and completely forgiven us. We are deeply loved in you. And everything that we need is in you and in a relationship with you. And so, Father, we thank you 
that we are perfect and we are complete in you. And Father, may we live life and may we walk in life like that. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you take with me, please? Just bow your heads with me and close your eyes. Let me just ask you a question. What is God saying to you as a result of His Word? What is He saying to you as a result of this message? Maybe what is your next step? Right now, do you have contentment? Do you have contentment in your relationships? Do you have contentment in life? Do you understand that contentment is found not in self-sufficiency, not in your circumstances, not in your relationships, but contentment is just found in Him. Found in Him. Maybe this morning you, you have a prayer request and you say, you know, I just need someone to pray for you. I'm just carrying this burden and I just need someone to add their faith to my faith. I just need someone just to encourage me. Well, we want to pray for you. So in just a few moments after I pray, we're going to stand. And when we stand together, if you're carrying a burden, if you need prayer in any area of your life, we want to pray for you. So as you stand up, would you step out and begin making your way down to the front? You don't have to walk alone. People be walking with you. You don't have to be embarrassed that you need prayer. Every one of us in this room, every one of us needs prayer. You just may be in that season where you need someone just to pray for you. There's something for every one of us to do in this moment, whether we're responding by coming to the front in prayer or whether we're, we're standing right where we're seated and we're praying for those who respond. So if you need prayer in any area of your life, after I pray, we stand. You come. Father, we thank you for today. And Father, we thank you for your love. And Father, we thank you for your grace. Father, we thank you just for the power of your name. And, and Lord, we just thank you for story after story of what has happened in the front of this room when people just humbled themselves and received prayer. And so, Father, we look forward to see what you're going to do today. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.